Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today and for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about some difficult topics that many may find hard to learn and talk about. Today with Candace, I talk about sexual assault. It's very important to learn about this and know how to help protect athletes. Studies have shown that about one in five females or college females are affected by sexual assault. I think as a soccer community, we need to really talk about it and understand it so we can better better ourselves and help protect our athletes and everyone involved. Candace is very open and she's not afraid to talk about difficult or hard topics, which is something very valuable. She has really found herself a voice, and she's encouraging other women and young women to find, her, find their voices as well. And she's been very positive and uplifting towards me when I found my voice starting the podcast. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's guest is Candice Fabre. Candice works as the director for member services at Iowa Soccer. She has coached across all youth ages and holds her B license and as a coach instructor. Before coaching, she was a player competing at the D1 level. She is the co-founder of the Iowa Woman in Soccer Alliance. I have known Candace for a decent amount of time now, and we visited a few months ago at United Soccer Coaches class in Kansas City. So if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about your background. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on. I've been listening for a while. I'm very excited about what you're doing and uh, proud of you for finding a voice in, in this very virtual new world of um, able to communicate within the soccer game. So awesome. Congrats to you. And thanks again. Uh, just brief background, I guess I played and grew up in Chicago and then, um, went to the university of Toledo in Ohio and played soccer there and graduated with a degree, uh, which is always important while I was playing, they did find a stress fracture in my back. Um, so I did redshirt my sophomore year. I was at the conclusion of my freshman year. They found the fracture. And up to that point, I had been working camps. I had coached my sister's 3v3 team. Um, There was this thought that I would be maybe a teacher and a coach. That was the the plan, if there is ever a plan. Uh, That was a thought. And got into just breaking the game down more. I had, my head coach was um, very engaging with me in terms of breaking down tactics and even what do you think about starting lineups during that redshirted year. So the coaching bug kind of got to me and that was where I said, you know, I think I might want to do this. Um, Didn't know if I wanted to do club or or youth or college. That was something I was trying to still figure out. But once I finished playing, I did get at least recovered enough to play a few more years. I came out of the uh, playing and took my first coaching course. It was kind of hooked. Called my dad and said, I'm going to coach. And he said, Oh, and teach. And I said, no, I'm just going to coach. And kind of said, well, how are you going to do that? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, kind of worked my way through it. Had some odds and end jobs, but coached in college, was an assistant coach at Toledo where I had played and then coached youth. um, And through that time was progressing through my licenses um, fairly quickly every year, trying to get a course in and kind of to get it done, but then also just to absorb as much as I could. I knew I always wanted to be a mom. Um, That was something that was on my plan. I didn't know how I was going to do it all. Um, I can tell you that from the beginning. I just was like, I don't see very many moms coaching. So how do I do this and that? Uh, So long story short, 
kind of made a decision that I think college is not the best for uh, being a mom. That doesn't mean I'm right. I, I still debate that. So I don't, don't take my word for it, but um, got into youth as more of a, a focus area. And several years later, um, have two kids and I coach club. I did it. Um, it took an army. That is, that's the big key. Um, it takes an army to be a player, right? Your parents, your coaches, that's your army. Nothing changes as you get older. You, you need the army to be successful and be supported um, in what you need. So I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed my coaching journey. I feel like I'm at kind of a pause right now because I'm not coaching as frequently. Um, part of that is because I wanted to focus on my kids a little bit more. Uh, but I don't see it as the end of a chapter. I, I see me getting back to the fields more full time at some point. Um, but I get a little, little bit of time to be a mom right now. So. so on this podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful, I always start with the same three questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Oh, man, you just gave me shivers by just even asking me that question. Um, it's crazy that it means... It means who I, who I was, who I am, and who I continue to want to be because the game brought so many experiences within this environment that I say it happened between the white lines, it happened off the lines, it happened at home, but it all really centered around the game. And I take that even to the days I wanted to quit. I mean, I don't know if I know you've ever, I wanted, I wanted to quit. There was days that it happened to me and it, I don't shy away from that discussion, but um, you know, how did I find something that I love so much that even the days that were my worst that I thought I never would want to do this again, I woke up the next day and I did it. Um, I talk about what it does for me today as a parent, um, what it means to be a role model, what it means to just have a conversation with when I'm at cheer with my daughter who does cheerleading <laughs> and I talk as a soccer mom and what soccer does for me. And then, you know, my future, I envision myself being on the field, maybe in a wheelchair, still still coaching and trying to help and still going to games and uh, being a season ticket holder at whoever's the closest. I'm not, I'm not picky on who I have to follow. I just, you know, would like to be able to see as much as I can and experience the environment. So to me, it's just, it encompasses everything that I have been and who I want to be because it's just, it has everything in it. The game has everything in it and that's what makes it pretty and beautiful. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Well, I can tell you I don't do my hair for the sidelines, so I'm not helping any of that. Um, but I can say that for me, you know, the thing that I've really gotten into uh, over the last several years, and part of it is finding my own voice as someone who was a victim of sexual, sexual assault by a coach, um, that protecting um, and finding ways to protect players and coaches, future coaches of experiences like that is something that's huge. So um, part of my daily job is tracking and enforcing and talking about how important safe sport is. And if you're not familiar with it, um, it is just one of the federal mandated laws. So you're not going to really get around it if you're involved with any sort of youth sports or activities. Um, but it's really a, a great organization that's out there that helps victims. It helps for reporting. Um, if you're thinking something happened, um, as coaches now, we're mandatory reporters. So, you know, that, that gut feeling that something's off or something's not right, or you see something, you have the ability to call and talk to people about your options. Um, you don't have to, you're not calling to necessarily report. That could be at the end, you decide not to, but it's just an organization that's really there for 
um, the athletes and the coaches and the parents and the players ultimately. So, you know, that's, that's been a part of what I've tried to do to make the game beautiful along with um, really supporting females within the game. Um, I want more female players, but I have a mindset that what if we could increase the number of coaches, female coaches, female referees, uh, female executive directors, female TLs, female marketers, female general managers in the NWSL. If we have more of us and we see that we could be that, um, I think that's huge. And so that's part of why the Iowa Women in Soccer Alliance came about. That's why I chose to be a coaching or go for my instructor license because there was no other females. Um, and so that was important to me that I continue to try to push myself and hopefully give maybe you or other of your friends going, Oh, I could do that. And that could be my life. Like that would be cool. I think it's cool, but hopefully it can encourage some others and, and open the doors. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Talk openly. I think the part of the game that's beautiful is also the ugly parts. Um, and so the more we can talk about, the struggles and the obstacles and be open and transparent about that, you know, not just as players, um, but as people, you know, I, we just talked about how the feeling to quit is, is something everyone faces at some point and, but you love the game. So how does loving the game equate to wanting to quit and how do you, how do you go through that process? Um, for me, it's, you know, there's so many times that females are nervous to go take a coaching course because it's male dominated. Yeah. There's a lot more males typically in a coaching course than are, there are females or maybe male instructors rather than female instructors. And so, you know, how do you, how do you get over that and how do you get into that comfort zone? Well, guess what? The males are just as uncomfortable as we are. <laughs> They're just as worried about it as we are. And I think, you know, if we can get everybody in the room just talking about how nervous it nerve wracking it is to walk into a space and we're all honest about that, um, I think it would be great because it just, it, it kind of gives everybody the same playing field. Cause I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to make it beautiful. We're all trying to make it something great. And so for me, I think it just means we all get down to sharing what the real experience is and sugarcoat it if you need to, but you don't need to because everyone has those same obstacles in some way or fashion. So, so why did you decide to start playing soccer in the first place? Uh, truth is that I was signed up for ballet and I got in trouble. So my parents <laughs> uh, were looking for an activity for me and soccer was the only thing available. So how did I get into it? Well, I was kind of just signed up and I was the only girl on an all boys team in Winchester, Kentucky. Um, looking back at the videos, there's a guy with a wicked mullet as the referee <laughs> And um, it just kind of, it, it just came to me. And so I, there was never a time I wasn't playing. I did a lot of other activities like basketball. Um, I danced. I was actually on a competitive dance team. Um, that was something that some people know and others don't. Uh, but yeah, I did a lot of other activities up until about sophomore year when I decided to get a little bit more serious knowing that I wanted to play in college and played um, on a more competitive club team. Did you care that you were the only girl in an all-boys team back then? I was so young that I don't think I had a clue. Um, however, in high school, a lot of times within high school sports and so on, um, I got pulled into like the all-boys groups. I remember playing football in middle school and being asked to play on the boys' field because the girls and boys were on separate fields. 
I remember being brought in um, at summer camps onto the all boys field and not being able to play with the girls just because they wanted a challenge. And I remember at that time being self-conscious because it was the, can I be as rough with the guys? You know, what if I'm too rough and they think, you know, and what do the girls think that I got pulled over and they didn't. And it was a lot, but I can tell you at the end of the day for all the thoughts that went through my head as I would either walk over to the boys field or whatever. Um, once I got into that environment, like it was guns ablaze and like, it's still competitive. I still want to be the best. I still want it to be kicking everybody's butt around me. So um, for me, a lot of it is I'm not as confident. I second guess everything, but the reality is once you get me into the environment, I typically, I don't want to let anybody down. Most importantly, I don't want to let myself down. So I'm not going to hide away. I'm going to, going to kick you where I can and <laughs> get, get the goal as much as I can. So yeah, it was something that it definitely, it was impactful more as I got older and got into those environments as the only female that maybe added some more nerves and some self-conscious consciousness on that. So you talked about that feeling to quit. How did you get over that feeling? I think, you know, for me, there was a couple like really bigger moments. Um, you know, I was trying to decide if I go to the more competitive club, if soccer is really for me, if I'm going to be that competitive, if I really want that um, year round impact, if I really want to put in every day, every hour towards the game, um, there was that moment that if I'm not going to do that, I might as well quit. And so there was that deep reflection that, you know, this is what I've wanted. This is what I've said I've wanted. Um, I know I want it, even though I complain. <laughs> um, so a lot of it came down to having parents that were super supportive. So they weren't ever there saying I had to. Um, I always had to finish what I started. So I always had to finish the year if, you know, but there was never the sense that I had to do this. I had to go get the college. Call. I, there was none of that. Um, so letting me have time to reflect and, and really look at what I wanted um, was huge. The other time I can remember wanting to, to quit or unsure if I really wanted to play was when my parents were going through a divorce. I was a senior in high school and that's a really personal, impactful thing as a kid, you know, and you, it, for those that ever experience it, you just, you're uncertain of what is and what's going to be the future and, and so on. And what I think is amazing is, you know, how coaches a lot of times say it's, the game is such an outlet. You have such a frustrating day and you go play soccer and it's such a relief, right? I felt that, you know, you go to school and school has tests and it has all these and you go to soccer and you felt so much better. Well, during that time, I didn't feel better playing soccer. I, there was, there was too much at home that I was just going, it's, it doesn't feel right to be out here. I don't, it's not enjoyable. And you know what? Credit to my coach. I said, I am miserable playing soccer right now. And he said, go take a break. And I was a senior in high school preparing to go play college and I, I needed to train, but my, my mental break was more important and he respected that. And so he gave me as much time as I needed. And I, I stepped away from the field. I didn't train. I didn't go to games. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I focused on me and my family and my emotions and, you know, the ultimate said, okay, I'm ready to come back to the game and, and be what I needed to. But, you know, as a coach, I've taken that moment because he did exactly what he should have done, which was trust me and allow me to process something that soccer had been always the outlet and it wasn't working right there. And so he let me find another outlet, um, which was just me processing and, and getting through it. So if I can give advice on that piece is let time happen. Don't make gut decisions, you know, give yourself some time to reflect on why. If you can answer the why and be really comfortable with your why, you're probably following your heart and your gut in a good spot. 
Why did you decide you wanted to continue to play in college? For me, it had been one of those dreams that I had said I wanted to do um, ever since I could remember. I did. I grew up in Chicago. I had um, my dad was from South Bend, so I thought I could play at Notre Dame. I was going to go play at Notre Dame. Uh, I was not good enough to play at Notre Dame. I had teammates committing to Notre Dame and Notre Dame hadn't even you know, sent me a letter or called me. So um, at again, it was something I knew I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to, I knew my time with the game wasn't done. Um, for me, it was, it, it just made the most sense that why would I continue life without it? Um, obviously as, as I continue, soccer not in my life is weird. <laughs> so, uh, I think the biggest thing was probably, um, having the injury at the end of freshman year, the, the fracture in my back that kind of altered some of that because it was not playing every day. So how, how is that going to be a part of my life? How is the game going to really continue to impact? So um, for me, it just is what made sense. Um, it was enjoyable. It was hard, but it brought me some of the best friends I have. Um, it brought tears. It brought happiness and uh, maybe a fractured back, but yeah, it's all good. I, I can still walk. So I, I'm a lucky dog. <laughs> So you already talked a little bit about deciding to coach. So when did you, what was the decision like when you decided to coach, like only coach? I won't forget the moment that the coach passed me the marker and said, put the starting lineup on the board. And here's why. And I talked to coaches a lot about this um, that are going, hey, we need more female coaches. How do we get female coaches in the game? Well, you talk to females just like you talk to males about the game and say, do you want to coach? And here's some things about coaching. Do you like it? And so um, I remember getting the marker and I remember putting up the starting lineup and being asked why, you know, why this person, why that, whatever. And at that point, I remembered just enjoying the ability to have the decision, the starting lineup, the decision on who, the decision on why and really enjoying the thought process that goes into that. And so that was really the moment I was like, no, I think this is what I want to do full time. Um, and shortly after there, just having a conversation about this is what I want to do full time. How do I do it? Um, and that's where it really took off. But it was, it was literally like passing the marker and almost empowering me. Not almost, it definitely empowered me to say, all right, this is pretty darn cool. Um, and I'd like to do this a lot and have this feeling a lot. So, yeah. Why do you think it's important for a young woman to have another woman for a mentor? I think grand scheme of things, there's just some things as females we go through um, that males, as much as they can understand and be um, fantastic support systems, they just don't go through it. And that's the same for males. There's, there's things as females we just, we won't understand because we can't biologically go through it. Um, but what I think is important in, in this environment and in what we do is that soccer is a weird schedule. It is not a nine to five. You're working nights, you're working weekends. Um, I can tell you right now, daycare was always the biggest question. Who's going to watch the kids when I have practice from five to nine 30 at night, who's going to watch them during the game. And you know, the parents would go, Oh great. I can watch them on the sideline. Or go to the game where it's uh, downpouring rain and 50 degrees. No one wants to hold the baby that time. Um, everyone's cold and wet. So for me, you know, like just finding that joy in what I'm doing has been, you know, the biggest thing that I've tried to, to focus on, on how to be a mom and to do that 
is a lot of work, but at the end of the day, me working as a coach and within this game has made me a better person, not just a female, a better person, which then makes me a good parent, which makes me then a good mentor, which then makes me a good friend. And so for me, you know, if I'm looking at how can I help the next generation of young women is that there is someone that kind of looks like you. There's someone that maybe had same, a similar experience. That's the same gender. You're more likely to probably come ask them questions. And so for me, it's just that there's somebody there. Um, I didn't really have anybody. I can't really think of too many women that I could go to and say, Hey, I want to be a mom or Hey, um, How's it to be the only female out of course and everyone's mad because you're the only one with your own room because <laughs> all the other guys have to bunk up together. So some of those weird little nuances that happen, um, you know, it's, it's just good that and hopeful that you guys will be more comfortable to maybe pick up the phone and call us and, and be someone that sounds and looks like you and can answer some of the questions that are specific to you. So is it important? I hope so. I also say go find a male mentor. I have them and they are some of the most fantastic people that when um, I wasn't sure if I was going to coach through a lot of experiences, they were right there for me being as supportive as I think a female could. So um, for me, it's just more I can see her, but I can be her. And it's just a good example and role model of somebody that looks like you and maybe encourages you. So can you talk about the Iowa Women and Soccer Alliance and why it was started? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the group, um, as informal as it is, it was really something I, I give credit to Ginger McGill at Vision in, in Waukee. She was the one that hack years ago was trying to get all of us who coach as females in Iowa together. Um, and schedules are tough. And so things were, were getting harder and people could meet and people couldn't meet. Um, so occasionally Lindsay Horner and Ginger and I would meet for coffee and talk about things that were going on. You know, some of those similar, similar questions we get asked is how do we get more female coaches or can you go get us more female coaches or what do we can do to get more female players and female coaches? And we're all just sitting there going, we're all getting asked the same thing. So what can we do? Um, and so really what came out of it was saying, well, let's establish a network. If we all know one another exists, can we then start creating some initiatives with that? So the, the idea really came out of let's create a network. And the easiest way to do that right now is obviously social media. So creating the Facebook group um, was, was really step one. And, you know, opening that up to males and females, opening it up to outside of coaches. Um, that was really important to me that we got referees and we have administrators and, and different varying people. If you were impacting the game, we want you in the space. Um, and male and female because males are a really good ally. So long story short, the, the hope is that we're, you know, motivating more females being in the game, educating about female issues um, and female topics that maybe are hard and tough to talk about. Um, celebrating women. Um, so the sports ball project, I think, is a great way to celebrate female athletes in a way that males can and can't understand. Um, and so, you know, those types of things and projects, I would love the group to be able to do more. I want to do more with the group. Um, time is always <laughs> such a rare commodity these days, but um, the hope is actually even to do some stuff in Kansas City now that I'm here um, establishing more of a network because there's groups actually all over. There's one in Wisconsin. There's one in Nebraska. I know Georgia, Texas. I mean, there's so many female groups out there right now um, that I'm working as well with some people to try to find ways that we actually connect 
um, regionally and nationally with these other female advocacy groups for not just soccer, actually sport in general. So it, it's exciting. And so that's kind of the, the root of it and hopefully where we can start moving things. Can you talk a bit about the Sports Bra Project and what it really was? Yeah, so I had seen the Sports Bra Project um, in a few different avenues and it really caught my eye because one, it's it's doing a fantastic thing. It's providing a necessary uh, sport equipment item, which is the sports bra, um, to females in need and, and females that maybe aren't being served um, with a financial, you know, financial resource system that gives them these, these required pieces of the required pieces of equipment. Um, so what it does, you can create um, basically a, a fundraising, a donation. It's, it's can be a team. It could be a business. It could be an individual. Um, but what we used it with for the Iowa women in soccer Alliance was to try to kickstart the recognition of the group being organized. So the plan was, was to use the sports bra project to, create a fundraiser to get 200 sports bras. Um, I reached out to colleges, club, um, high school programs. To me, it was going, this is a statewide initiative. Let's all talk about the most uncomfortable thing, uh, which is undergarments. No one talks about that stuff. You don't want to talk about it. It's weird. But for females, um, you know, the reality is, is that it's an equipment piece that can make playing sports comfortable. Um, And, you know, you would, ask a similar question to a male. If there was something that made physically running uncomfortable, wouldn't you want something to fix that? Duh. So as females, we, we are naturally looking for that. And the quality sports bra changes that. And especially, especially when you're talking about the age in which females quit, which is in that 13 to 15 year um, age range. And that's a huge part of puberty is suddenly you've got breasts that you've got to figure out how to play soccer and run. And so this equipment is necessary and Sarah who runs the sports bra project is an amazing human being um, we've connected several times over the last few years and just hearing what's going on with the sports bra project beyond you know the little things that we do here and there it's it's really an amazing organization doing fantastic things so certainly happy to connect anybody who would look to do a drive for it we were hoping to do it this spring but obviously there's a lot of a lot of things going on in the world right now that are prohibiting that. But yeah, it's it's an amazing project, something that I would encourage groups to get involved with if, they, if they're looking for something to, to really make an impact. So you said you constantly get asked the same question, what can we do to get more women coaches? But what should players or coaches say to, a, to another player that wants to start coaching? Go try it out. Coaching is such a fun way to be involved in the game. But the best way to learn how to coach is by experiencing it. And, you know, it's the same way as playing. You know, you, you get better by playing the game. Um, so we watch it. I, I watch other coaches. Go watch other coaches coach. Uh, go, um, go coach a 3v3 team. I can tell you that was like one of the most fun experiences I had. I think I was 17 and I was coaching like a nine girls, um, 3v3 team on a local 3v3 tournament in the summer. And I had to organize practices and I coached them in their games and in that just go experience it. You can go talk to, I can guarantee almost any coach right now and say, Hey, I think I want to be a coach. And they will get you involved in some little session, little camp. Um, and it's it's such a rewarding profession, um, whether you do it as a volunteer or paid. Um, I, it, 
just go try it. Like that would be the thing. Go try it. Because even if you don't make your absolute living out of coaching, the pure joy you will get out of working with kids and showing them the love of the game you have and giving them that opportunity to find it in their own is there's nothing really better in life. Like I best thing. So if you want to coach and you're Anna's teammate or anybody's teammate and you want some opportunities, call me, I will find a way to get you into a practice, a camp, anything, just go experience it and have fun and watch others and beg, borrow and steal, man. That's, that's the best way to coach. I, there's things my husband does. I would never coach that way, but there are things that I'm like, that is awesome. I got to bring that into what I do. Um, so yeah, that would be the advice I give. Go try it out. No harm. How do we keep players safe from abuse? Yeah, that is, that's one that, you know, I wish I could, I could be Wonder Woman. And every time I, you know, get that, that spider sense that something bad's going on, I can come in and save the day. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me that I can say is, if you think there's something going on, there's probably something going on. And so as players, you know, there's a few avenues to, to take down. And, and the first thing as players is, you know, can we educate children in general about what is appropriate and inappropriate? Um, you know, being really upfront about what is an appropriate action from a coach to tell you, you did a good job. What is an inappropriate action from a coach to tell you, you did a good job? Um, same thing about telling you you didn't do a good job what's appropriate what's not because um, abuse comes in several different ways it's you know obviously physical mental emotional sexual you know it, it can happen in several different ways so having players understand and, and kids understand what's appropriate and what's not is huge the other part is giving them the ability to question and ask so if they're not sure where can they safely go and get that information saying this just doesn't feel right can they do that can they say that is this you know in a safe space so i think educating and empowering kids and as adults we have to listen we have to not you know just hear we have to listen and absorb to what the kids are doing and what they're saying and how they're saying it and what their body language tells us because as coaches as mandatory reporters now you know the abuser could be a family member, it could be an athletic trainer, it could be the neighbor, you just don't know where that abuse is coming from. And again, you don't know which way it's coming from. Um, it, you just empowering and listening them to, to them to empower them to give you and trust you to give you information. And then as the adults, having the knowledge and education to know or knowledge and education about what options are available for you to report not just available but required of you to report to and so that's where you know i get a lot of questions about well this is what i've heard or this is what i've seen what should i be doing and safe sport gives a lot of good outline about what you should be doing what goes to authorities what doesn't go to authorities um and in most cases, most of it's going to go to the authorities. And that's, those are the people that should be taking those, those head on. But Safe Sport is an amazing organization that gives you the ability to call in, email. Um, I actually reported to Safe Sport um, as a victim. And it was an amazing experience because I actually started it by putting in an anonymous um, like contact sheet email. So I didn't talk to anybody um, and then said, would you be willing to get, take a phone call? And I said, yeah, sure. So it was, I put my, my name to the phone call once I, you know, answered that and got on the line with them. But it, 
it's just a good resource for how can we protect. And what I want players to know and, and athletes is it's for you too. This exists that if you think there's something happening to you and you don't feel comfortable to talk to your parents or a teacher or a coach or any other adult in your space, you can actually go talk to Safe Sport and they can guide you on what you can do. Um, and I think that's huge as well is that we start to inform athletes where they can go parents, you know, there's, that's a hard thing for a parent to know if your kid comes to you and says, this is what's happened to me as a parent. Um, you're sometimes, you know, as much as we want to be superheroes, we, we don't always know the answer and safe sport can help. So really having that, that um, resource known so well from players, coaches, parents, um, you know, and anyone involved within athletics and especially youth activities. It, it's just, it's so important. So um, tell a friend, <laughs> take a training let me know how I can help with that but yeah it's it's huge to help us could you share your experience with a former college coach yeah um I'll, I'll give the <laughs> the g-rated version so basically um had decided that or had a couple opportunities to maybe coach elsewhere in college um so this was outside of I completed playing was making the decision on being a college coach. And so I had decided to stay where I had played. Um, so there was a lot of trust. There was a lot of uh, mentorship that I felt like I could get by staying at the university I had played at. And um, the evening that I had um, had the incident happen, I had been coaching um, a youth, little nine, U9 girls team. Um, it was like my first team. And so it was July, it was hot. I was, I remember wearing a t-shirt and shorts and I was, I was honestly stinky and met everybody at a restaurant to kind of say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to stay at the university and coach with at the university along with doing a club. And so, um, you know, by the end of the evening, there's, uh, me walking to the bathroom by myself, um, within this restaurant and, um, I feel a tug and I get pulled into, I think it was a cloak coat closet it was some sort of closet um and behold my coach has pinned me against the wall and is kissing me and touching me um highly highly inappropriately so i remember um being absolutely frozen i remember um you know just being unsure of what the heck was happening but then that fight or flight kind of hit and i did both i pushed and then ran so i guess i did not fight or flight i did both and ran to the bathroom um, and I was crying and I was trying to call, you know, try to figure out who I call because this is our coach. This is somebody we all trust. So I didn't want to call my roommates who had played um, with me and knew him. Um, his wife happened to be at the restaurant too. So she actually came to the bathroom and asked what was wrong. And I, I froze. I couldn't tell her. I just kept crying. So I actually called an ex-boyfriend and had him come pick me up, which is great and awkward to have ex-boyfriends that are, um, you know, willing to, to still be by your side. Um, and so, yeah, it was, woke up the next morning and um, called one other person who was there that night. She was a former female teammate that was actually um, coaching as well. And the first question she asked me was, well, did you flirt at all? And that was, I, you know, I don't put it all on her. There was a lot that I could have maybe done, but you know, it was definitely a question that then altered my mindset that maybe I had been the reason it was my fault. I had done something, um, you know, to, to invite this and why me and, and all of that, that, that tends to come after that type of question. 
And so I kept it pretty, um, pretty close to the, to the chest that this had happened. Didn't really tell anybody about it. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, um, was reinvited out with everybody was trying to go, let's just move on, blah, blah, blah. Didn't happen. I'll just be normal. And, um, you know, we all go back to his house, um, the coach's house again, this is, we're all coaches. We're all adults. No one's a player. Um, I ended up going to the restroom and as I come out of the restroom, he's standing outside the door. Um, and that point I looked at him and I said, never, ever. And I pushed him away and I left immediately. And, um, I did end up coaching the season. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't report it. I didn't do anything. I just felt as though I needed to coach that season in order to have his, um, his approval and his ability to get me the next job. And that's why I justified everything is I needed him to get, help me get the next job. Um, I didn't, I never, ever used him as a reference. Um, I never wanted him to speak on my behalf. So uh, three and a half months of torture to coach for somebody that I was deathly afraid of every day to what he would do or try to do to me. Um, and I never actually needed him. I did everything on my own. And so um, it still traumatizes. It's still not easy. It still makes me nervous to be, um, you know, around male bosses at times and, and all of that, um, doesn't mean that I'm nervous all the time. I'm probably good 99.999% of the time. <laughs> um, but there's definitely, it, it's impactful. I wouldn't say it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit my brain. Um, my family knows about it. Um, you know, so having your parents know that that happened to you, um, it's not the easiest conversation to tell them. Um, but I have awesome parents who were both very supportive of everything that I wanted to do and, and stay with it. Um, I have an awesome husband who, uh, is there when I'm bawling, crying and, and bald and, you know, a little ball and absolutely been there. Um, and when I'm talking about it openly and honestly on, you know, different forums like this one. Um, everyone stands by me and is really supportive. So it was not a great story. Um, but do I think it has a happy ending? Maybe not completely happy right now, but, um, excited that I am comfortable enough to talk about it publicly and hopefully, hopefully help others understand whether you're the victim of it or you're the friend who gets told, um, how you can handle that, which is just say, I'm sorry. Um, is there anything I can do for you on um, less questions and more just support? And then, um, to help other coaches know that there are situations like this that occur that they maybe have no idea, but it's the reason that coaches leave the game and especially females who can be put in really compromised positions, but there's absolutely male coaches that are abused. So I don't, I don't want to make it exclusive to females. There's, there's definitely going on with both genders, um, all minorities, we just need to be protective and safe and just respectful to one another. That would be the big thing. <laughs> How can we make the game fun again for people who have been hurt? That's an awesome question. And one that, you know, for me, um, as I kind of answered before with the question of what it took, it took time. Um, it took time. It took reminders of what I loved about the game to be shown to me. Um, it took a lot of self reflection to, again, you know, I did a talk today actually with a team here in Kansas city, a club team. And we talked a lot about confidence and where does confidence come from? Well, the first thing confidence comes from is you have to acknowledge what you're good at. If you can't say what you're good at, or I've done a good job, 
confidence by other people telling you you did a good job helps a little bit, but you have to know it. And so a part of confidence also comes with reflection and understanding what you like, what your priorities are, what's important to you. You know, if that piece of that priority that you get to own because it's you and you're confident in it and you understand it because it, it makes sense to you when it's soccer and that's such a high priority to you that when the really, really bad, negative, um, huge hurdle that you think you will never, ever be able to get over and see the game again, I promise you with time you will. Um, so for making it fun again, I would say for people that, it, you know, if, if it's your friend or your sibling or a parent or whatever it may be that has that experience is give them time let them lead that process, but, you know, ask them to find the moments that they liked about the game. And for me, you know, honestly, I, I didn't really want much to do with that team. I didn't want, I didn't want to wear the Toledo logo. I didn't want to wear any of those logos because it, to me, it was too, you know, too much of a memory, but now I can wear it. It just took time. And so for me, it's, it's telling kids and telling victims that you will lead the process. You will be in charge of this. Um, but remembering what's a priority and what's important for them for the game to be fun and then letting them lead that and be supportive of it. So how can a player tell if a coach is being hard on someone and when does that become abuse? Oh yeah, that's a big one. Um, you know, it, it comes in so many different ways. Um, and you know, I think first the accountability lands on the coach. You know, our job as coaches is, in my mind, it's the person first, the player second. Um, we're really there to help provide a person with an, an opportunity, a moment, an outlet, um, the playing experience in the player that then develops in those moments is a great thing and something you're excited to support. Um, so if we're not there for the reasons that are best interest, then I think that's the first thing. Um, you know, as coaches, we have our own personal lives that add frustration. I, I can think of a thousand practices where something in life had gotten me mad or frustrated or, or whatever. And I went to training and I, I took it out on the players and that should have never been it. I should have been more accountable to what my responsibilities are there. So first and foremost, it's all on the coach to, to know their own boundaries and know what they're expected to do and what is a reasonable behavior for players. Now, as a player, recognizing it can be really hard. Um, you know, I, I remember I was always a player that I was short and stubby and weight was always something I had to fight with. I mean, especially high school age, it didn't matter. I had to be aware of my nutrition, aware of my physical activity to try to keep myself fit. And so I had been I don't know, injured with, I think an ankle or something. And the coach was making a lot of questions or a lot of comments about my weight. And I don't know if I was just being hard on myself. I didn't, I didn't really see it as a problem. Um, that's bad that I didn't, but I just didn't, it just didn't hit me. Um, but you know what? My teammates did. And my teammates spoke to him and my teammates spoke to me about saying that is out of line. That is completely inappropriate. So if I can give some word of advice is if something makes you feel off, something makes you feel mad, something makes you feel 
like you've done something wrong, I would ask the player to look at what occurred and really ask, was something done wrong by you? You missed an open goal. Did you do something wrong? Well, maybe you could have corrected your foot, your shoulders, your hips, right? But did you really do something wrong? No, you just need to correct something. So if your coach is going off on you that you did something wrong by missing the open net and yelling and berating you, you know, whatever it may look like, you know, one, if it's the first time it's addressing it and just saying, I did not appreciate that. I, I agree. I missed the open goal, but my hope is that I can fix the error and, you know, make my technique better or whatever it may be. But there's no reason that that's a wrong thing. The wrong thing is to make someone feel like they're an absolute idiot. So first off, I'd ask the players to look at any time there's that situation, and whether it's you or your teammate, is there something that's really gone wrong? And if there has, where is that action coming from? And is that the person to blame? So it's a hard one. If you think there is that case, um, my recommendation is always to have your parent and you go speak to the individual. So if it's the head coach, the assistant coach, whoever, directly speak to that person about their behavior, because you know what? It might have been a bad day and that's not an excuse, but it's a learning opportunity for us. And so having that one-on-one -on -one conversation may be enough. If it doesn't feel like enough, you need to then escalate it appropriately and quickly because one incident will quickly turn into multiple. Um, and I think that's the thing that I always encourage is that that open transparency has to be in the conversation has to be there. And, you know, again, bad days happen, but that's <laughs> usually it's not just a bad day. So being open, being honest, being brave, leaning on teammates, leaning on your parents is always something that um, can make it a little bit easier to have a conversation about things that seem off or seem uncomfortable or feel wrong. So we've made it to our final question. Uh -oh. Final question is, what do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez. I, oh man. I want to be someone that anytime you interact with me, I hope I don't make you, I hope I make you feel excited about what the game brings. I want to be someone that when we have a conversation or I do a speaking engagement or um, I work with you at a training session or I'm your instructor or wherever the, the interaction happens, hopefully at a game or whatever, that you feel the same excitement about the game, about what soccer does um, or what it could do. And at the same time, if it's not soccer as that excitement, you know, giddy juice that you drink, if it's, you know, I don't know, art, or, you know, I love, I have a roommate from college that does amazing pottery and that is like her thing. And it is so awesome. And talking to her about it, like you just feel the energy. And I think that's the biggest thing is I want people to see me as someone who brought energy, brought solutions, brought um, an open forum to the really negatives without getting so drawn down into what the negatives did and actually pulled others out um, from what seems like something that they can't really crawl out of, um, especially as it relates to loving the game again. So I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. I, I feel like I'm not old enough to answer that one. I think, <laughs> 
I need a few more years, but um, I don't know. I just hope that people come away from conversations with me not going, oh man, she's that girl that got, you know, her coach did something and that's all she talks about. It's like, no, like, let's go do way more. Like I that it happened to me and it's horrible and I will talk to you about it. And I want to use that because that is my spark plug. That is the thing among a lot, a lot of other things, the divorce I told you about the, you know, injuries, all of these other things, they, they're these little spark plugs in life that said, how bad do you want it, Candace? And I had to answer that question. And for right now, it's keep on trucking, keep on going. So like I said before in my introduction, I know this is a very difficult topic for many to discuss, but I think as a soccer community, it's very important to learn about so we can overcome it. If you're struggling with anything related to sexual assault, I encourage you to reach out to Safe Sport or any other organization in your community. Even if there's only one person you want to talk to, do it. If it's someone you haven't talked to in a while, it's okay. Just like Candace said, she called up her ex-boyfriend, and that is completely fine. You just need to find someone that you feel comfortable talking to. As always, stay safe and healthy, and until I see you next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. <laughs>